Some of you probably know that I've been a pastor for a long time. In fact, I'm closing in on 40 years of being a pastor. But what some of you don't know is before that time, I spent about 18 years. So if you had those numbers together, it's piling up here sooner or later. But 18 years I spent as a teacher. And the last portion of it, I was a high school teacher. And as a high school teacher, I was at Valley Lutheran High School in St. Charles, Illinois, where I served as the athletic director and the head basketball coach. I coached a number of other sports. But I also taught physical education, and I taught religion. And one of the classes that I taught at Valley was called Discovery in Film and Song and Literature. Uh, My students called it Disco Flicks and Tunes. (laughs) But, you know, we were trying to expose them to a variety of things and see how they kind of either fit into the Christian culture or did not. Now, one of the tools that I used were were videos that I taped on MTV. Now, my question is, how many of you ever heard of MTV? Okay, the older folks. Okay. Well, I'd venture a guess. How many of you still watch it? Aha, I knew that answer there, too. You know, I'd venture a question that a whole lot of people who watch MTV today are not aware that that network used to televise music videos 24-7. It was a great channel. In fact, I wouldn't be surprised if most viewers who watch it today don't even know what the letter M stands for. Uh, And though MTV is still somewhat successful, um, what it has become today does not resemble its origin at all. Now, a business that loses sight of its vision is, well, it's going to be in deep weeds. A lot of them, they chase off, they're looking for bigger profits, and it kind of fails. Uh, But when it happens to a church, uh, when it happens to a ministry, when it happens to individual uh, Christ followers, it's a tragedy. And in this chapter, that's what Paul is talking about, where you came from and what you've allowed to happen. Don't let that stuff happen at all. So he's going to be talking this morning in this chapter to us about Christ followers who have abandoned their faith to follow what he called deceiving spirits and start believing this, the doctrine of devils. Now, that already sounds scary enough as it is. We'll get to that. But this is the worst case of losing your focus. Now, you probably say, well, gosh, I think I'd run right out of a church if they ever start talking about the doctrine of the devils. That we don't even say the word devil very much. You're like, oh, don't say that. This is talk about Jesus. Well, okay, we're going to talk about Jesus, but let's understand the devil is still out there. Now, Paul is going to explain here at the beginning of this chapter what this doctrine of the devils is in verses 2 and 3. He says, such teachings come through hypocritical. i got to stop with the Greek words because hypocritical is hypocrites. It means to have two faces. You ever watch Three Stooges movies? I love them. You ever see those little pictures at the beginning? One's a smiley face, one's a frowning face. That's hypocrites. you got two faces. He said they are, they are two-faced liars. Oh, that's another great word, too. Uh, pseudologos, which means false word teachers. These people didn't have the right words. They're teaching nothing but false words. It says, whose consciences have been seared as with a hot iron. They forbid people to marry, order them to abstain from certain foods, which God created it to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and who know the truth. So what Paul is saying here is there are people, there were people in his day, and guess what? They're still around. Uh, who devote themselves to myths and endless genealogies. And he said, all that does is mess up. It promotes controversies 
rather than building up the work and the word of God. And in this chapter, he refers to them as godless myths and old wives tales. And we're going to get to that a little bit later. Now, how many of you have read the book Mere Christianity? Okay, some of you. This was a book that was required for students to read in disco flicks and tunes, by the way. But C.S. Lewis warned many years ago when he wrote Mere Christianity about something called Christianity Plus. Christianity Plus. It's the tendency to repackage, if you will, or package Christianity with other movements, with other ideals and other philosophies. Now, today we might say this is kind of like putting Christianity together with conservative politics or Christianity and socialism or Christianity and positive thinking, uh, or Christianity and climate change. You know, we've got to pair Christianity with some really weird kinds of things. It's like weird science. So this was, and it has been happening, well, even in the early days of the church, way back in the New Testament, from the beginning there have been people who've been trying to hijack uh, the gospel and blend it with this message or this kind of message. I mean, for example, in Paul's day, oh, you want to be Christian? You have to be circumcised. So it's Christianity and circumcision. That's a really interesting welcome to our congregation speech. Or Christianity, and you need to follow this particular diet. You can't be eating all that stuff you've been eating. You've got to eat what we tell you to eat. Or Christianity, and you need to possess some great knowledge. You need to understand some secret knowledge. Secret knowledge. See, these distortions of the truth... Uh, watered down the gospel, prevented people from trusting Christ alone for their salvation. And the Bible teaches us there's really only one way to salvation. Uh, This comes in 1 Timothy chapter 2. Been there already. There is one God, one mediator between God and man, the man Christ Jesus, who gave himself as a ransom for all men. So, as Christ followers, this is just a word of admonition, warning, suggestion, whatever. You know, uh, any doctrine, any theology, any teaching that messes with this, the truth that salvation comes through faith in Christ alone, is nothing but an aberration of the gospel. And in Paul's word, it is the doctrine of the devils. Now, if you want to know how to withstand that, I'm going to just give you a little assignment. Go home today and read Ephesians 2, 8, and 9 and keep reading it until you understand it. And if you don't understand it, come to my Bible class next Tuesday at First Baptist Church because I'm going to explain it to the Baptists. <laughs> Even as I've already explained it to the Lutherans. That's, that's the gospel in the nutshell almost right there. Well, John three sixteen is the gospel in the nutshell. But let me tell you how this works. It was not long ago, I, was, I started to read a blog by a pastor because his title intrigued me. The title was, What Does It Take to Have True Saving Faith? Now, I'm kind of intrigued by that. What does it take to have true saving faith? Well, he said in his blog that you must believe this doctrinal distinction over this doctrinal distinction. You need to have this theological view over this theological view. And if you don't believe things the way I just told, described them to you, then chances are you do not have, and he said, genuine saving faith. Now, i got to tell you that the theology that he was talking about in some places, I fully agree with the doctrines he was referring to. 
But what this guy was doing was coming dangerously close to saying that when it comes down to it, you're not really saved by faith, you're saved by knowledge. And that's pretty dangerous. Now that got me to thinking, if you're saved by knowledge, got me thinking about the men that I serve at Angola and Hunt prisons in Louisiana. Many of those guys down there are not educated much beyond eighth grade. Some of the men that I've had in class cannot read. They cannot even write. When we fill out certificates for them at the end, there are guys who come up and apologize. Doc or Miss Cheryl, I didn't write my name down because I don't know how to do it. And so we write their names for them. Now, I don't think very many of the guys down there initially could pass an introductory level Christology class. (laughs) But what I know about these guys is that many of them have a faith in Jesus that is so deep and so strong and so solid and so secure because it is their faith in Christ alone that saves them. Not all this other monkey business. Now, let me tell you, they come up to me and they ask questions because a lot of people who walk into that prison, they used to be able to walk in and hold seminars and teach monkey business. Doc, what do you think about this? Run and hide. (laughs) Show it to the chaplains. Don't take it. If it's not in God's word, move it aside. Now, it kind of works the same for you and me. Uh, We are saved by grace through faith in Christ alone. It's not based upon your politics. We're not even asking you what you are. It's not based on your church membership. You guys just show up on Sunday. There's your membership, I guess. Uh, it's not based upon your self-discipline. It's not based on your vast and impressive Bible knowledge. Uh, it's not even based on your good looks, for heaven's sakes. You kind of go, oh, rats. Uh, well, it's only your faith in Christ. That's all that counts. Now, Paul went so far as to say, and he said this back in Galatians, in Galatians chapter 1, verse 9, that if anybody preaches anything other than this, if they teach another gospel or any other way of salvation, let that person be eternally condemned. And the word there is anathema, which means they need to be excommunicated, or even worse, cursed. That's pretty powerful. False doctrine, I curse you in the name of Jesus. Wow, that's pretty rough stuff. So for this reason, here's Paul talking to this young guy, Timothy. He says, teach the things that I'm saying in this letter. The eternal souls of men and women are depend upon your faithfulness to the gospel message. And when I read this and when I write this, I go, Barry, make sure you're, there. Make sure you're doing the same thing. So he tells Timothy, now this is verse 7, he says, have nothing to do with these godless myths and old wives' tales. Now here, old wives' tale is loosely translated, worldly, worldly fables fit for only old women. <laughs> so there must have been a lot of old women sitting around telling some really goofy stories. And, and, and Paul says, don't have anything to do with it. Rather, he said, train. And the essence of the Greek word there is to discipline yourself to be godly. Now, what does it mean to discipline yourself and train yourself to be godly? I I like that, train and discipline. See, just like an athlete trains themselves and disciplines themselves, whether they're Kansas City Chiefs or my Cowboys or whoever else you're going to be rooting for, uh, a believer trains to live a godly life, and you get there by 
Well, doing about four things. It's kind of interesting. How do you learn to pray? By praying. You raise kids, did you ever teach them how to fold their hands? And, you know, then they couldn't figure out how to get them apart after you did those little kids. And you taught them everything from, uh, come Lord Jesus, be our guest, or now I lay me down to sleep, or whatever, or Jesus, amen, or whatever prayers you taught them. And you learn to study your Bible how? By studying your Bible. I'm not telling you anything new, am I? Okay. You learn to serve by what? doing what? Serving. And you learn to worship by worshiping. I mean, that's pretty simple stuff. See, living the Christian life is like on-the-job training. It's educate, it's educate you. That's what we've been talking about. Always training yourself for godliness. Now, Paul is going to focus on four specific areas here. Here's focus number one. Focus on what people can see in you, not what they think of you. Listen again to Paul, verse 12. Don't let anyone look down on you because you are young, but set an example for the believers in speech and life and love and faith and purity. So that, there's the first part of this. Set an example. That's step one. It was Albert Schweitzer a long time ago who said, example is not the main thing in influencing the other people. It's the only thing. See, in everything we do as a leader, now I'm not, talking, I'm not the only leader here today. I'm looking at a whole bunch of you. In everything leaders do, he or she needs to be thinking, what kind of example am I setting? What message am I sending out to people who are watching me? Now, Paul says this should be done in what you say, in what you do, how you treat other people, how you relate to God, what kind of attitude you have when you're relating to other people, to how you relate to sin and holiness. In, then he gives you four areas in speech, in love, in faith, in purity. Now, one way we were talking, someone was talking about social media before uh, we started worship today, but one way social media has changed communication is that in the past, uh, when you express an opinion on a matter, uh, only a few people heard. I mean, your wife, as you were saying, expressing it, the only you, you did a little, you told your wife, she went, eh. she either gave you a like or a don't like, whatever. Now today, <laughs> thanks, and I put that in parentheses, to Facebook and Twitter and TikTok and Instagram and all that other stuff, you can express an opinion and maybe two to 500, 200 to 500 people will actually read it. I can't believe that I actually have 1,200 and some friends on Facebook. I'm not even sure I have that many in real life. <laughs> but these are all people who know me for one reason or another. And so I, I, I'm pretty judicious in what I put on. I will put out some pretty stupid stuff every once in a while. Anthony knows that. Um, but I also know that my sermons get recorded and they get put on my sermon site. They also get put on our on our website. And I know that I have listeners every week in Germany and in France, uh, in Thailand, in Malaysia, and in all over the United States. These messages reach far more people. So I have an opportunity to influence both positively and negatively like you. You have the same way of doing that. Text messages. I don't know how many of you are TikToking. I have no idea what it is. I don't have a watch that even makes that sound anymore. So, so you can explain TikTok to me after a while. Uh, so everybody who's involved in social media, and I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand if you're involved in social media, but you need to think about what example are you setting. 
We need to think about it, not only what we put on Facebook or Twitter, but what kind of impression are we making? Because we're called to be examples, uh, and not critics or condemners. You've heard me say that often. We are not called to be condemners. We're called to be gospelers. So Paul goes on then, and he says to Timothy in verse 12, don't let anyone look down on you because you are young. Now, we don't know how old Timothy was when this was written, but most scholars say he was probably about 30, maybe early 30s. Uh, but he was faced with taking over a church of older people. And for other things, from other things Paul said, not only was he a young pup, he maybe wasn't as bold and as assertive as he should have been. And I commiserate with guys who graduate from the seminary, they're like 26, 27, and they go into a congregation that's been there 125 years, and everybody is 65, and they all got white hair, and look at them like, what do you know, buddy? Uh, and Paul realized Timothy probably found himself in that, that kind of church. So for Timothy, age was an obstacle. That's why Paul says, don't let anyone look down on you because you're young. Now, if Paul were here today and he were looking at you, what would he say? Don't let anyone look down on you because you're old. You're a woman. You're not a baptized Missouri Synod Lutheran. You were not dunked or dipped or sprinkled. You were just welcomed. <laughs> Whatever you would what be asking here. Uh, you know, you're, you're not old enough. You don't have enough education you have no money uh, and by the way i know your past well he knows all of our past anyway see what's the thing that stands between you as a leader and the leader that you are called to be see but i just say forget whatever it is focus on being the best example you can be right now now second here's the thing he says focus on the presence of the word of god in your life now that just stands to reason if you're going to call yourself a christ father the word better have a pretty important place in your life Paul says in verse 12, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to preaching and to teaching. Now, Timothy was a pastor and a teacher. So Paul told him, you're responsible. I feel like he's speaking to me, or I know Jeff does this. He's speaking to Jeff and people like us who have this responsibility sometime. You know, to focus on reading the word, uh, preaching the word, and teaching the word. Now, for those people, you know, you say, well, I'm not called to preach. Guess what? You're not off the hook because you're still expected to read the word, listen to the word and live the word and share it as you possibly can, as you proclaim in your own little ministry area. It might be your family or your neighborhood. So we ought to be reading or listening to scripture read publicly. And that's what we have. We have Lair read this. It's good to read it. How about that's why we're reading it out loud, even in the midst of this message today. In fact, if you know anything about the New Testament, these, a lot of these New Testament letters were circular letters sent someplace and were expected to have somebody stand up in front of their congregation and read 1 Timothy out loud to everybody. And it's like, oh, six months later, oh, my God, here comes 2 Timothy. And then, Paul, then all of a sudden, and we got Ephesians, yet besides shows up at this little church. They got three letters out of this whole deal. See, there's something about hearing the word. That's different than just reading it flat on the paper. Some of you know this Bible passage, Romans 10, 17. Anybody know it offhand? Faith comes by hearing. By hearing. 
So you need to put yourself in a position to hear the word of God. And I'd encourage you to, this is going to sound very radical. Don't turn me into the synod police on this one. But I would encourage you to find a Bible teacher you like. And I'm saying even beyond what you might like at your own church that you go to. There are great Bible teachers out there. And I got some that I, I listen to quite often because they primarily focus on teaching the word verse by verse and passage by passage or book by book. They get into the Bible. They don't deviate. They don't say, well, I was read this. I'll tell you, let me tell you what I was thinking about this. Well, who cares what you, were, you thought about that Bible? Page? I want to know what the Bible says about it. That's why Paul told Timothy to focus on the word of God. Because there's power in the word. Now, if we get to 2 Timothy, I don't know if we get to 2 Timothy before the end of time. But in 2 Timothy chapter 3, 16 and 70, it says, All scripture, so all 66 books you all got in your Bibles, all scripture is God-breathed, inspired, inspirated, and is useful for what? Teaching, rebuking. Oh, gosh, I can't be rebuked by God's word. Uh, I get rebuked almost every day when I'm studying scripture. Like, oh, yikes. Uh, correcting. Training in what? Righteousness, right living, right thinking, right doing. So that the servant of God, that's you, that's me, may be thoroughly equipped to do every good work. See, everything you, you need to live your life can be found in the Bible. In fact, I got to think, it. there's enough wisdom just in the book of Proverbs to probably cover most everything. But just think, if, if you, you study the book of Proverbs, you go, oh my and just think, there's so much stuff around it yet. Focus on the presence of God's word. Here's the third focus. Focus using the gifts God has given you. That's what he's saying next. He says in verse 14, do not neglect your gift. Now, some of you are going, oh, I didn't get nothing this morning. <laughs> well, when, when, when did this gift arrive? Was it in the mail? Was I not home when uh, uh, Amazon delivered my gift? No. What kind of gift is he talking about? Well, he says, don't neglect your gift, which was given you through prophecy when the board of elders laid their hands on you. Some of you said, I ain't I had no elder lay his hand on me. Now, let's get to this. So what was Timothy's gift here? Paul never says. But it's no doubt that it has something to do with his calling and the fulfillment of the responsibilities. The Greek phrase translated do not neglect can also be translated stop neglecting. And it could very well, he's been, he said to Timothy, look, we know what you're good at. We know what you can do. We know what your gifts are. That's why I sent you. Stop neglecting those gifts. That could be what he's saying here, too. But he's saying to Timothy, I think he says to all of us, I, you know, going through this and studying this myself, man, sometimes I think, why am I preaching to myself? And the answer, God says, well, because you need it. That's enough of an answer for me. But he's saying to all of us, don't let... Anything stand in the way of learning to be an example to other people or faithfully exercising the gifts God has given you. Now, that means don't worry about what other people think. My wife would probably tell you, I've never worried about that in any church that I've ever pastored. <laughs> yeah, you don't, ever, you don't ever seem to be concerned what other people think about you. <laughs> uh, no, because it's going to sound terrible, but I, I believe that God called me to do this. And, and I'm going to share that with people. And I think sometimes you need to understand those kinds of things as well. You have something you can contribute to the kingdom of God. 
and especially the body of believers in the church of Ephesus, and you all got a gift that can contribute to the place called Restore. That means don't worry about what other people think. Do what God has gifted you to do. But under, as I said, he'd say the same thing to some of you. Some of you, you got plenty of gifts. You just have never started using them. Now, if you don't know what your gifts are, if you don't know exactly where you fit in, um, well, you ought to try to find them. I'm going to give you a little homework assignment. You want to know what your gifts are? You want to know what, what, what he's got into? Uh, you write this down. Romans chapter 12 and 1 Corinthians 12. Go home and read those two chapters. Maybe we should have a sermon about those sometime, huh, Jeff? The gifts of the Spirit? Wow. It describes the various gifts God gives to his people. And one thing is all gifts that have, they have in common is that they benefit other people. But read those two chapters. Romans 12, 1 Corinthians 12. See the gifts. Now here's the fourth focus. This is a tricky one. Focus on staying focused. (laughs) Verses 15 and 16. Be diligent in these matters. Give yourself wholly to them so that everyone may see your progress. Watch your life and doctrine closely. Persevere in them because if you do, you will save both yourself and your hearers. Well, the last thing I'd ever want to do would be to send somebody off the path to Jesus by sharing something that's false. That's why I try to be as close to the scriptures as possibly can with the tools that God has given me. It says, watch your life. Watch your doctrine closely. Persevere. Because if you do, you're going to save yourself and other people. So I said earlier, you learn to pray by what? You learn, by, you learn to pray by praying. You learn to serve by serving. You worship by worshiping. You just need to remember these things that are so important in the early days of the church are just as important in the church today. Uh, I mean, athletes, uh, and if you watch you know, professional athletes, for even college athletes, even high school athletes today, they never get to the point where they don't stretch before the game. Uh, where they don't need to warm up, where they don't need to take batting practice, or where they don't need to practice dribbling around traffic cones and everything. These things are fundamentals uh, that never end for people who are in the game. See, in the same way, we never get to the place uh, where the basics of the Christian life are unnecessary. Um, I mean, I, I don't envision a time in my life, well, I don't know, I've done this long enough, I quit. And then I never, ever open my Bible again. And Nancy says, well, what church are we going to go to now? I said, oh, gosh, can't, we've been going to church our whole life. We don't need to go anymore. I just can't even begin to imagine. I mean, just think of this stuff that you, you, you say to yourself, I can't imagine doing without this. Is prayer and worship and Bible study and fellowship in that list somewhere that you couldn't live without it? See, reading the Bible, prayer, worship, these are the basics. Uh, we never get to the point we don't need them anymore. Uh, but it's easy sometimes for Christ followers to lose focus. It, remember the problem of Christianity and? You don't need to go very far on the Internet to find some preachers and some churches that lost sight of the word and start preaching politics. I mean, I see somebody and it's like, what? Is he to- oh, yeah. He's just ragging all over President Biden or President Trump or President Nixon or oh, they're still dragging up 
you know, Grover Cleveland. <laughs> you know, whoever, you know I don't want to hear about that. I don't need to, I don't need to know that. I know some preachers and churches who lost sight of their call to serving other people and focus on me-oriented politics. Uh, me-oriented religion is all about me. I know pastors who've made a killing by selling stuff on television. That's basically worthless. Uh, some preachers, some churches um, lose sight of the command to be an example and they become all about pointing fingers at every other place. I, I don't intend today to point fingers at anyone in particular. That's not my job. My job is to point you to the word. See, that's why we need to stay focused on being focused. Paul said in verse 16, watch your life and your doctrine, what it is you believe closely. See, it all comes back to being a follower of Jesus, keeping him at the center of your faith. That's where our focus belongs. And so this Christian life is on job training. That's what we call this, what? Educate you. Uh, it's Paul tells Trinity, train yourself to be godly. And just like that athlete who goes to the gym and pumps iron or runs on the treadmill or walks or, you know, uses a little exercise by playing pickleball or whatever. You know, whatever it takes to, to keep yourself going, walking up and down stairs. Uh, you, you do this in order to prepare yourself for what it is that God desires for you to do. But if you don't realize it, may I say realize it now, you're in training. If you've been here for four weeks of this, you've been in training. We've been taught, we've got two more chapters to go, and it doesn't get any easier. But that's part of training. Uh, now, you may not be perfect in every area. I know I'm not. Um, and if you don't think, if you think you've arrived, uh, talk to your spouse or, or somebody else you've gotten close to here at Restore. Uh, they'll point out your areas where you could ratchet it up a little bit more <laughs> and get a little bit more serious about this. But see, you're here to train so that you might ultimately be able to serve. And again, I'm going to say it one more time. You do this by staying focused on the basics of the Christian life. Prayer, Bible study, worship and service. Day after day after day after day. Staying focused on the center of your faith, which is Jesus.